0: Welcome, this is EIG, Milwaukee's philanthropic community, with your host, Jill Economo, on News Talk 1130 WISN.
1: Good morning, everyone. Happy Sunday. Happy summer. I'm Jill Economo, Director of Community Outreach at Ellen Becker Investment Group, and I am so happy that summer is in full bloom. But it's really whizzing by quickly. It needs to slow down a bit so we can breathe. Breathe in the beautiful Wisconsin summer season and enjoy, right? Sit back on a comfy Adirondack chair in the sun and tune into a podcast. Oh, I don't know, maybe Milwaukee's Philanthropic Community Podcast and then just <laughs> relax and listen. If you're looking for a way to make uh, to make a difference, to give back or to pay it forward, this show is a great way to learn about a variety of ways you can do that. With over 54,000 nonprofits in the state, you're sure to find at least one, if not many, that'll align with your interests and your passion. So just jump in with both feet and enjoy the blessing of making a difference in the world. Today, we're going to be talking about the number one cancer killer of both men and women in the United States. More than 35 million Americans are currently living with a chronic lung disease. Anyone can get it. If you have lungs, you can get lung cancer, and it's on the rise in women. In fact, every five minutes, a woman in the U.S. is told that she has lung cancer. And you don't have to be a smoker to be living with a chronic lung disease either. Statistics show that approximately two-thirds of people diagnosed with lung cancer have never even smoked or are former smokers. And we need to understand the various ways this disease can affect us. I think it's also, um, we need to better understand the tobacco use and the dangers associated with it. Because nowadays, let's be honest, tobacco looks a lot different. You know, it smells different. It's consumed in a number of different ways. Some, many of you may not even be aware of. So anyone uh, and everyone should be aware of the information we're going to be sharing today. And if you're a parent of a middle schooler or a high schooler, you'll want to stay tuned so you can learn about the latest trends and the dangers. So my first guests today are Donna Wininsky, Director of Advocacy, and Lizzie Covington, Director of Development from the American Lung Association. So welcome to the show today, ladies. Good morning. Thanks for having us on. You are welcome, and we're glad to hear what you have to say today. Um, so Donna, you didn't start with the American Lung Association in this advocacy role. You, you started in, in a different area. What, what led you to the advocacy department or area.
2: You're right. I did actually start in a general communications role, and then I moved into advocacy, which really, it it just was my niche. It was what, what my calling was. I had grown up surrounded by secondhand smoke. Uh, my father, unfortunately, was a very... Regular smoker. I also am of the generation that we didn't have the advantage of the smoke-free air law. So not only did I grow up with secondhand smoke in my home, I grew up with it at schools. When I went away from went went away to college, we had smoking allowed in the dorms. I think the closest thing you could get to being smoke-free was having a smoke-free roommate that you could request. Uh, the first yeah. several of my jobs was um, in in smoking allowed places. So probably for the first 30 or so years of my life, I was surrounded by secondhand smoke. So to be asked to take a position like advocacy, where you could advocate on behalf of people who who were the victims of secondhand smoke, who were involuntarily exposed to secondhand smoke, that was my niche. That was my calling. Okay.
1: And didn't you tell me that you had a situation with a family member that... um you know, kind of led you uh, into looking into the different advocacy options further, something with your son?
2: Well, again, I grew up with my father smoking, but um, as my son grew older, he suffered from a collapsed lung when he was in, in high school. It was just very spontaneous. One day, he just stuck his head out the door and said, Mom, my chest really hurts. And we ended up having to take him to, to the doctor and get him x-rays, and they said, yeah, he had what was called uh, a spontaneous pneumothorax, and mm-hmm. the translation is a collapsed lung. He had to have both of the upper parts of both lungs removed, and uh, he was in the hospital for a couple of days. and So I've always been very sensitive about things like his exposure to secondhand smoke, his exposure to other air quality issues, environmental pollution, things like that, because he's not working with full lung capacity.
1: Yeah. And how old was he when this happened? He was only, I think, 16 at the time. Okay. So I think that's important for people to know that, you know, you don't only... uh, think about lung disease for the elderly population or people that were smokers. Right? One of
2: the things I remember, his surgeon, after the surgery, he came and he found us and, and he said, you know, even at 16 years old, opening up his lungs, I can see the effects of air
1: pollution. Oh, my goodness. From living in an urban area. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Well, the mission of the American Lung Association is to save lives by improving lung health and preventing lung disease. Uh, so you're in the 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 perfect area there, Donna, in terms of advocacy. Um, So I understand that you have four areas that allow you to accomplish this. Can you guys elaborate on that?
3: Uh, Sure. So um, the four areas that we really focus on are education um, through programs in the community, community service, um, our advocacy efforts that Donna um, takes so much of her time to, to work on with different groups and then uh, through research. So um, one of our education programs that um, we can talk about is our Asthma Basics. So that is a program that um, basically teaches people they can go online, they can take an Asthma Basics course, It takes less than I would say probably about 40 minutes for you to walk through questions, um, learn about what triggers um, might trigger a child with asthma or an adult with asthma, learn about those things um and then they uh finish that and they get a certificate and they learn um just different things that they can do to help with an asthma action plan to um take it into their schools and show their teachers um so it's just a really nice easy tool that's something that we use
1: and anybody can just do that they can just yep. go online and boy that's something that everybody should be doing right? yeah
2: that's available at, on our website which is lung.org
1: okay okay
3: Um, Another uh, program that we talk about is our Save by the Scan initiative. So this is an initiative that we've done with the Ad Council. Um, Our Save by the Scan program um, is uh, to detect lung cancer early when it is more likely to be curable. So uh, if um, lung cancer is caught before it spreads, the likelihood of surviving is five years or more, and it improves to 56% if you can catch it early.
1: Okay. What are some other education options that you have going on, or, or community service, or well, we just so a- people are aware of the different ways that the American Lung Association is helping to increase education.
2: Certainly with one of our goals being to prevent kids from smoking, we have a lot of youth-based um, programs, education in the schools, at peer kinds of Education. We want kids to grow up hearing the message that smoking is bad for you. Vaping is not an acceptable alternative. So we do a lot with um, parents. We do a lot with schools. We do a lot with the kids directly community service programs, some that we offer, is people always have questions about lung disease. They get a diagnosis. And of course, they're shocked, especially if it's something really bad like lung cancer. And they can really only retain a certain amount because of what they're being told. Their head is spinning, right? Their head is spinning, exactly. So we have a lung health uh, helpline. We call it. It's 1-800-LUNG-USA. You can talk to a nurse, a registered uh, respiratory therapist. You can go to the lung helpline to get a Assistance quitting smoking. If you're a smoker, we have better breathers clubs for people who have existing lung disease. Somebody with COP to teach them techniques to maximize their breathing potential, and certainly we're out in the community providing information at places like health fairs,
1: uh, events, etc. Those kinds of things. Okay. Um, well, we understand that you have uh, uh, raised about 7.3 million for. Research, which is is wonderful. How does the American Lung Association raise funds for that and other areas where you do great work? We're actually going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we're going to find out how. We'll be right back.
0: Thanks for tuning in. This is EIG, Milwaukee's philanthropic community, with your host, Jill Economo, on News Talk 1130 WISN.
1: Welcome back. I'm your host, Jill Economo, and I'm talking with Donna Wininsky and Lizzie Covington from the American Lung Association. So we learned that you raised over $7.3 million for research. That's, that's fantastic.
3: Congratulations. How did you guys do it? Yeah, so one of the big ways that we do that here in Wisconsin um, is through our special events. So uh, we have three large events in the state of Wisconsin, our largest being our Fight for Air Climb. Um, and that one just happens to be the largest climb in the country. Uh, oh, right here in Wisconsin? Yeah, right here Largest right here one in Milwaukee. the country. Wow. Bigger than
2: Denver, bigger than L.A., bigger than Bigger Chicago. than L.A., wow. Yep. Yay, go Wisconsin. We're very proud of go that Go Milwaukee,
1: event. go Milwaukee, yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So um, so the Wisconsin Climb uh, just this past year brought in uh, just over $760,000. Nice. We had um, just under 3,000 participants. In uh, and, and an event like that, um, some people are not familiar with stair climbs as many years as this has been, has been going on. Um, this is its 12th year. We, um, we find that there's still people that have not heard of us and have not done it. So um, we get around 3,000 climbers, but it takes around 400 volunteers on the day of the event to put that event together and carry that out.
1: Wow. So there's your call to action for volunteers out there.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. Um, So if you're not familiar with stair climbs, they are an indoor stair climb where uh, at the U.S. Bank Center this takes place and uh, they climb 47 floors, 94 flights, 1,034 steps. Oh, wow. So that sounds like Get a lot. Get your Fitbits on, right? Yeah. <laughs> Tallest building
2: in the in the state. yeah. Yes.
3: Yeah. So that sounds um, that sounds pretty high. Um, but we actually find um, we do a lot of research. We do a lot of tracking of this event, and we find that um, our average climb time this last year was just around 14 minutes. So, oh my goodness, wow. Yeah, absolutely. So, okay. um, so the stair climb uh, it takes place every spring, um, and. Uh, Folks have the option to do a full climb, which is the entire way up to the top of the building to get that 360 view of the city of Milwaukee. Uh, You can also do a half climb. Um, and you can also sign up to do an ultimate climb, which is a really cool part of the event. Uh, it takes place first thing in the morning, and climbers uh, sign up for the ultimate. They see how many times they can climb the stairs. Uh, oh, wow. Okay. And we've had people in do one it hour. in one hour. Oh, they in get, one hour. they get one hour to okay. do it. Okay, so if you're training
1: for a triathlon or you're one of those extreme sportsmen, then, then you go for the ultimate
3: climb. Right? Absolutely, yes. <laughs> okay. And we've had
2: people do it as many as eight times. Oh, wow. Okay.
3: <laughs> wow. Yeah, so it's definitely for our competitive. <laughs> (laughs) spirits out there yeah um and so uh this event is um it's generously sponsored by um anthem and they actually host a really cool part of that event as well called our anthem firefighter challenge so this is another really neat part of the event where firefighters come out and they climb in full gear so they climb with about i think it's around 50 pounds of extra weight um in their full gear yeah Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. some even do it on oxygen which actually adds to the difficulty of the climb wow Uh, And so that's a really, really neat part of the day. Um, We get around uh, just under 300 or so firefighters, um, and they compete to see who can climb to the top the fastest. So um, uh, five team members. Um, We obviously take more than five, but we take the top five fastest speeds. Um, So that's a really nice, great competition and uh, visual on the day of the event.
1: Wow, wow. And then you have a gala, not unlike any or most other nonprofits, right? Yes. Tell us about that one.
3: Yeah. So um, every um, late spring, we host uh, our annual O2 Oxygen Ball. Uh, This year, we raised just under $400,000 at this year's event. Uh, And the evening was, um, it was themed One Enchanted Evening. So we had a beautiful um, night at the Hyatt, and it was um, all decorated in a garden theme. It was just very beautiful. Um, We enjoyed cocktails, dinner, Uh, a silent auction, a live auction, um, and then Dinner, dancing, all of that.
1: Wow, and that's uh, an annual thing. That's usually in September, sometime.
3: Um, it's actually in May. May. It's usually oh, okay. around. It's usually the first weekend in May. Okay. Um, and along with that evening, um, then we host many of those uh, different um, auction items and raffles. But we also um, have a really cool part of the evening. We do um, a program, and we have a hero come out and talk. And um, Uh, This year we had a really lovely young lady named Allie come out, and she talked about um, her story with her mom, Mary. So um, Allie and her mom uh, have experienced lung cancer. Um, Her mother was diagnosed... um, I think, in the last year or two.
2: Yeah, just f- very recently, within the past few years.
3: Mm-hmm. And Allie actually had been an active member um, of a group that we have uh, called FACT. So it's a peer education program. Um, and she uh, she talked about her experience with her mother and finding out about the day that her mom had lung cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, and she got up and spoke to over uh, 400 people in the audience and shared her story. Mm-hmm. Um and we were really, really lucky to uh, have been a part of hearing that her mom is actually in remission and uh, cancer-free right now. So that was a, wonderful. a great part wonderful. of the evening. And with her story alone, um, we did a uh, paddle raise and raised $43,000 after wow. hearing her story.
1: Wow, that's wonderful. Wow. And then you have a... A walk, yes. So you have the climb, and now you have a walk for maybe those people that don't want to <laughs> be as do such an intensive uh, workout or or uh, climb. If you, as you say, what is what is the walk about then, and how does it compare to the climb?
3: Yeah, so our Lung Force Walk uh, takes place every fall, um, usually the last fall, or the last weekend in September.
1: Okay, that's where that September came in. Yes. I knew there was something in September. Okay. Yeah,
3: so the walk is um, its a really great time to raise awareness and raise funds. It's a family event. Uh, it takes place at the Milwaukee County Zoo. We get around 1,500 or so people that come out to spend the day with us. Uh, they participate in um, different activities uh, just about educating people on lung disease and lung cancer, um, there's different tents where they can go around and they can learn new things. We have um, an area that we dedicate to our lung force heroes, who are people that have been affected by lung disease, like Allie and her mom. So they can stop by there. They can learn um, or share their stories. And um, this event is a one-and-a-half-mile route, so we have an opening ceremony. Um, then we have everybody take off from the start. They enjoy um, walking throughout the zoo, seeing the different exhibits and the animals, and um, come back and then celebrate with us when that event can includes
1: okay I bet it's uplifting for people to hear the stories that have happy endings right it is it's
3: it's
2: it's really our most mission focused event there is a whole lot of education and sharing especially story sharing going on um, we we feature our lung force heroes as Ali said we've had people come and talk um, as part of that opening ceremony one of our most recent lung force heroes her name is Lisa and she was diagnosed with lung cancer hers was again unrelated to smoking. Very rare. In fact, only two, about 2.5% of the population of lung cancer patients have this form of lung cancer. It's a genetic kind of lung cancer. She has benefited enormously from some of the research that we have funded. She got a, was put into a trial with a brand new medication that has given her literally a second chance at life for the last few years now, Uh, and it's all because of that research that we're so grateful that people donate and participate in these events because that's the future hope for
1: anyone who has lung cancer. Yeah, and uh, I mean, this really hits me hard too because uh, one of my best friends, uh, Sue Schmidt, a uh, dear friend of mine passed away a number of years ago from lung cancer, and I know she, um, they had tried different things. And she, by the way, was a non smoker as well. Yeah. And so I know when we first heard about it, we were all like, wait, what? You, you know, you were not a smoker. Um, and I cannot recall exactly the kind that she had, but, um, you know, she was trying some different, uh, things and, and unfortunately lost her, her battle. So, um, uh, this yeah, goes, out, genetic, goes out to you, Sue, right. you know, we're, we're, we're thinking about you right now and, and, uh, hoping that there are people that will have a different outcome. Uh, so thank you for the, uh, the research that you guys do. I think that's wonderful. And to have raised seven point, over 7.3 million for research is is really wonderful. Um, you have something called saved by the scan which you know you talked a little bit about before but anything more you want to add on yeah, that?
2: Yes, Lissy indicated the whole key to survival for lung cancer which has one of the lowest survival rates is early detection. If we can catch lung cancer in one of the earliest stages, stage one or stage two, a lot of times surgery is all that's necessary. They remove the tumor. If it hasn't spread anywhere to to other parts of the body, um, it, it can be contained, and the outcomes are much, much better. So our Saved by the Scan program looks at people who are who we consider to be at risk. And in fact, on that Saved by the Scan website, we have a little quiz. It's really four or five questions, something like that. It mostly has to do with smoking history, um, how much you smoked, how long you smoked, things like that. And what it will do is you answer those questions. And then at the end, it will say, yes, you are a good candidate for a low-dose CT scan, or no, you are not at high risk. And then based on what the outcome of that little quiz is, we, we recommend, That people take that information to their healthcare provider and say, I would really like to have a low dose CT scan because that is the tool that will detect that lung cancer even before there are any symptoms, even before you're coughing. um, You know, lung cancer can be very, very symptom free. And we want people to, to know, not just know what their risks are, but also to take the steps that they can to protect themselves. Early detection
1: could be simple surgery and you get on with your life. Yeah. It's like so many things, you know, just early detection is, is so key. And it's, it's tough because if you're, if you have no symptoms, you know, what would cause, usually we wait until there's some kind of symptom to go in and get checked. And so knowing that there's a method or a vehicle or a process that you can go through to to at least start um, just being more aware you know first of all with uh, the statistics you know which we've shared some and and just knowing that there are ways that we can become more educated and be proactive in terms of our 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 health uh, in all areas actually but Each year, more lives are lost to lung cancer than any other cancer. And so education on this topic is is so important. How can listeners help?
3: Yeah, so um, the biggest thing that people locally could do is volunteer join us you know come out to one of our events our lung force walk um, you can register sign up to walk it's lungforce.org slash milwaukee um it, you know it, like i mentioned it takes over 400 volunteers on the day of the event um for the climb so if you're not up for it you're thinking the climb might be a little too much for you bring a group out and volunteer that's really um we need group we need good groups out there to help make that day possible
2: okay I would also add to that we have an <clears throat> excuse me, an active advocacy network. If you are willing to raise your voice to decision makers, which, which primarily means elected officials, education is wonderful, but when you want to really see broad global change, it has to be done on the policy level. You can help a person quit smoking, and that's so valuable, but when you pass a law that says you can't smoke in public and then literally hundreds of thousands of people, are no longer exposed to secondhand smoke that has a huge impact. Mm, yeah. So by joining our advocacy network, you can make your voice heard on I- issues that are important to the Lung Association, clean air, access to health care, all kinds of things that impact people with lung disease. So all of those are available on our lung site, uh, on our website rather at lung.org. Okay. Um, Way to join the way, ways that you can get involved in the events, ways that you can join the network as well as all of that educational information too.
1: Okay. Well, wonderful stuff. I mean, again, too many things to, uh, to cover here, but, uh, we just plant a mustard seed here. So hopefully people will, uh, hearing this will be, uh, intrigued to go to your website, lung.org for further information, education, or even how they can volunteer and help out in some way. So thank you very much, Donna and Lizzie, for being here today. We appreciate all the information that you share. Thank you again. You're welcome. Um, There's been some action in terms of moving the needle in prevention initiatives and education on the dangers of smoking, including high schools and, believe it or not, middle schools. In fact, Wisconsin has seen a 272% rise in use of e-cigarettes in the middle school population and a 154% increase among the high school population. Staggering. Stay tuned to hear more about what college campuses are doing in addition to the middle and high schools in the way of prevention and education and how one local program of the American Lung Association is involved in that effort. We'll be right back.
0: You're listening to EIG, Milwaukee's philanthropic community with your host, Jill Economo on News Talk 1130 WISN.
1: Welcome back to Milwaukee's Philanthropic Community, brought to you by Ellen Becker Investment Group. I'm your host, Jill Economo. My next guest today is Troy Barnett, who is the manager of tobacco control for the American Lung Association. Thank you for being here today, Troy. Thank you. So, unfortunately, as we said before the break, there's a rise in the use of tobacco and tobacco-related products in colleges, high schools, and even middle schools uh, quite a bit of a rise actually 272% in middle schools and 154% in high schools my goodness there's, there's cigarettes there's cigarillos there's little cigars, there's blunts there's chew, there's moist and dry snuff there's e-cigarettes, there's vaping huh, how are we supposed to keep up on all this stuff? my goodness um, as the manager of tobacco control for the American Lung Association Troy, how do you answer that?
4: We uh, attack it through money fronts. So we really look at uh, educating individuals, high school parents, uh, teachers, on what it looks like in the community. So there are targeted populations for the tobacco industry. If you are of low income, you're going to be targeted. If you are... um, African-American, African American, you will be targeted. If you are Native American, you will be targeted. And there are certain campaigns that appeal to that. Now, um, it used to be the industry really looked at introducing tobacco to the high school population. They have uh, adjusted their strategy and really are looking at the middle school population, and My they're goodness. succeeding.
1: Wow. that that's, <laughs> that's a scary thing. I mean, who would have thought that you'd need to educate your middle schooler? On the use of tobacco and tobacco-related products, because there's so many, so many of them out there. Um, you also did surveys. Lots of surveys. Lots of surveys. Yeah. So, in in a in a three county region, I understand. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. So tell us about
4: that. So the surveys uh, the tobacco industry spends approximately one million dollars an hour. To um, a million dollars an hour, you heard that correct to advertise at the point of sale. So, um, you and I, um, as as grown-ups usually buy our gas at the pump and you know quite frequently we do not go into the convenience store but um, that is a big draw if you're walking home from school Uh, even as uh, teenagers needing a quick bite before they go off to other activities they'll go inside the store and so when you enter in a convenience uh, market you will see advertising by the tobacco industry at the three-foot level. That is not uncommon. That's not because of our kneecaps all of a sudden having eyeballs, but because <laughs> we're bringing our little ones in there. Oh and my gosh. so th- those are that, that's how they answer that target population. So you'll see that more prevalent in some industri- uh, in some neighborhoods than others. But um, I've just done some scans, retail scans in the um, Menominee Falls area, and we saw it there. So that's one way they reach those those little teeny ones that you bring into the store with you. And, um, yeah, and it, it, they're not doing it because they really like um, the retail environment and they just want to put one in there for the mom and pop industries. They're doing it because uh, they'll get over that $1 million in sales per hour. So it will equal out for them. It's not... Um,
1: wow. So so you've done surveys in three counties. Correct. So which counties, and tell us about some of the things that you found with those surveys.
4: So um, in Waukesha, they uh, rank higher in the county health rankings, meaning we're going to have a little uh, lower rate of smoking amongst adults, and that's uh, traditional tobacco use, that's uh, combustible cigarette use. We're not even counting right now the e-cigarette use uh, just yet, just just because it takes us a while to get a, a standardized methodology behind that. Um, So Waukesha is sitting pretty good. Um, Rural populations are, again, one of those target populations. So in Jefferson and Dodge County, you'll see a greater incidence of retailers, uh, tobacco retailers, per population. They're closer together. Um, They're closer to schools. That's another industry tactic. Um, And you'll see uh, especially uh, there's certain populations that like maybe menthol. Cigarettes, So you'll see a lower menthol price to bring those people into the um, retail environment to buy. And wow. yeah, yeah. A lot of strategy pretty, involved there, huh? Pretty, yeah. Wow. Pretty interesting.
1: And and the counties that you were surveying, again, were Dodge, Jefferson, and Waukesha, correct? That, that's correct. Okay. Yeah. As they compare statewide. Right. Yeah, right. as it compares to the state. Okay. Um, so you have a... Um, a program for the high schooler and the middle schoolers uh, called Fact, that's and, correct. And then there's another one called Spark for colleges. So what's the difference? Now, again, you're talking about obviously quite a, a, a an age span there. But what are you, what are the different things that you're doing in each of those areas? So keep in mind again that
4: target population. Who do they want to hook? That's at middle school now. Um, so. We want um, those uh, students to be able to talk to their peers. And it begins with education What and education on tactics of the industry to hook you. Now, that industry, the tobacco industry, kills 1,300 people every day.
1: 1,300 people every day.
4: Every day in the United States. So here's the deal. You can't kill that many people and keep growing as an industry mm. and so they're going a little bit younger that's one thing that middle schoolers needs needs need to know we don't raise our children to be um fallible to any type of marketing um, but if it were anything else um a toy tires whatever mm. we would be up in arms um, the tobacco industry's been really good about kind of moving into culture and being part of who we are which is um you know what we need to address when we're talking to peer, um peer to peer. So
1: So what kind of things do, you do? I'm curious uh, from a from a middle school standpoint, what do you do? You go into like pep rallies or I, maybe that's more high school, but you know, what do you do to grab the attention of these of these middle schoolers? Well, and that, are they listening?
4: Yeah. So I had a an incredible opportunity in Lomira. That is a school in Dodge County. And um, I really identify with that rural population because I grew up in Wyoming. Didn't you say the Marlboro Man was big there? Yeah, he was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was. And it really, so growing up in Wyoming, we wanted, we won, we bought the advertising. So um, in Lomire, that's where I began. And interestingly enough, I had my PowerPoint up and all ready to um, rocket. And um, the power went out. And so I had forty-five minutes with school and staff, no PowerPoint at all, and boy, they listened. And they listened because they don't like the thought of being um, duped
1: by the oh, industry. Okay. And so we even start, at the high, at the middle school level, huh?
4: <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Wow. That's the only thing that um, because you are now addicted. If you don't like the shoes you're wearing, don't wear them. Mm-hmm. If you don't like this sweater you're wearing, you don't have to wear it, you know if you if it's not in style or whatever, but tobacco requires you to take it. Mm-hmm. You are addicted to it. It's not something you can cast off
2: mm-hmm.
4: any longer,
1: wow, and again, just the thought of it affecting middle schoolers that just blows my mind, yeah, yeah, um, but the spark program is at the college level, so it's... there's some exciting things happening there um you want to talk about that, yeah,
4: so we look at always advocacy. So what does that look like in communities? And that's my part at the American Lung Association. We do have other um, uh, coalition coordinators throughout the states. We have two at the American Lung Association. So when we look at lung, lung health, and what we can do in these populations uh, really affected by advertising, we look at advocacy. Now Spark comes into that. So what is a lung health look at on the, t- uh, on the college campus? And that is through policy that says, hey, we're going to add e-cigarettes to um, uh, substances that you won't use in the dorms any longer. Okay. Yeah. So we're going to add um, this policy to the and e-cigarettes is an easy merge into the clean indoor air policy that we already have as a state. So we look at, hey, can we add this here? It's still, and and making that merge between, hey, this is what the tobacco industry is using now. Because e-cigarettes came up as an alternative Mm. to tobacco, um, the regular combustible tobacco product.
1: And so just those little steps are making a big, big difference. Um, You know, you talk about these um, e-cigarettes and vaping and blunts and you know all these things that some of these things i have not even heard of but um there are so many tobacco related options for for kids people and and especially kids like Juul. you know vaping pens e-cigarettes as we said what's the difference now stay tuned to hear more about what parents should know about these things we'll be right back
0: thanks for tuning in this is EIG Milwaukee's philanthropic community with your host, Jill Economo on news talk. 1130 WISN.
1: Welcome back to Milwaukee's philanthropic community brought to you by the Ellen Becker investment group. I'm your host, Jill Economo director of community outreach, and I'm chatting with Troy Barnett from the tobacco free community partnership. It's a sat and the American lung association. Um, it's a sad day that we have to start educating kids as young as middle school on the dangers of smoking and smoking related products, but it's a very real issue. Uh, I remember seeing someone vaping years ago and kind of when it was a new thing and I asked about it and they said, "Oh no no, it's it's not dangerous, it's only vapor." And I was, "Okay, well it's called vaping, so maybe that's what it is." You know, I'm not really quite sure, but what is it about these new fads that we as parents and just as the community at large, what what is it we need to be aware of?
4: So, what we need um, every parent to understand, and even as we're getting into the youth population, these are unregulated products. So, no one has oversight over them. When we test the products, even if they say they don't contain nicotine, often they do. And um, when we look at the products, they're meant to be the catchword is discreet. And you and I don't need a discreet product. We're, we are of the age that we have. Um, we don't need to be discreet. But these are marketed to be discreet, easily concealed. Um, clothing is made to help you uh, conceal the products. That is for your high school and middle school
1: That's population. crazy. They make clothes evidence. so that... You can hide these
4: things. They make clothes so that you can hide them. Uh, Kids are, and they make a really high tech looking uh, products as well. So it's meant to appeal to a new generation, which happens to be that younger generation to replace the one thousand three hundred people that they kill every day of the former generation. So the products are meant to deliver um, nicotine in the jewel. The little pot of jewel contains the. Uh, nicotine equivalent to one
1: pack of cigarettes. Oh well, don't they advertise that as being an alternative for people to stop smoking? <laughs> yeah, they do. Uh, they're sneaky that way. Yeah, oh,
4: they my do. Gosh. Yeah, that is not an alternative to smoking. It's not been proven that it's an alternative to smoking. You have individual stories that will relate. You know, I cut down or
1: whatever, but you're still addicted to the product. And then they say that these, uh, the jewel or jewel, uh, comes in fruit flavors that appeal to the youth and that it looks like a USB drive and, you know, how are parents supposed to know? I mean, they, well, like you said, education, right? That's that's why we're doing this show so that your parents out there can become educated and not be duped when your kid comes home with, you know, something that looks like a USB drive or tells you, oh no, it's, it's just, um. You know, some fruit flavored something or other, you know. That is correct. Yeah. So now you're saying that on college campuses, they're getting uh, smarter on this stuff and saying, okay, we're adding these things to the list that you can't do. Yes. Right? Yes. So um, the American Lung Association is stepping in with different different programs that's, to al- to allow correct. that. Yep. Um, so what about success stories? We love to hear about situations where... Um, you know, either an individual or multiple individuals is, has been affected in a big way. You have something you can share along that line?
4: I do. So um, I met an uh, individual this summer. Uh, she was part of the Campus Spark program, and uh, she talked about how she was addicted. And she was actually a part of that targeted marketing that we talk about, um, maybe low income a little bit, maybe more rural um And she started smoking because it was part of what they did in their household. And she bought the the idea that if she did the e-cigarettes, it would be something that she could quit and move out of, you know, the smoking. And she noticed a difference in her health. And she's very young. And what she did notice when she went to e-cigarettes is that because she could do them anywhere, she was doing them more. So she felt like she was more addicted to the product. And it was through the SPARK program, um, uh, carrying a a leader that way on campus, that actually, as we started with education, she started to come around and became a really active um, member in SPARK and moving the conversation to, hey, these are, you know, incredibly addictive for you, and I feel better, and I'm doing better And it's because I was made aware that this was harming me.
1: Hmm. Now help me to understand because I, I guess I really don't even know what an e-cigarette is. I mean, is there's no tobacco in there? Is there
4: nicotine? Nicotine is the draw and that's how you become addicted to it. Um, So, and there's something else people need to understand about e-cigarettes is that it, um, so my daughter was in show choir and there, that involves a lot of hairspray, and she had long hair that they would uh, do in different styles. And if you've ever cleaned up a bathroom where somebody's used a lot of hairspray, and you know that it's real sticky, you have to hit it a couple of times. That what we're finding is that there is a leave behind. In vaping, meaning that uh, that the product is sticking to surfaces and um, and in this case
2: your lungs in <laughs> yeah yeah
4: and and our lungs, but there's again that transcends you know who am I hurting just myself, no, 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 you're hurting the person that comes after you too, it's on a substance and and part of the substances that is left behind is some nicotine, and that's what we know um is a a long term effect is is that we're actually exposing more people than we think some of the products are um, meant to contain uh, more juice and product than um, jewel. so again it's a very easily handheld and loaded with whatever um, substance the user wants to load and so we're seeing a lot of people modify those again uh, it's meant to be undetectable and um they're vaping a, m- a myriad of substances.
1: Well, and and to me that just speaks to this whole education mm-hmm. idea, right. you know, nobody or, or I would venture to say few people um are aware of these statistics that you're sharing and this right. information and you know, I, it you had mentioned that the Lung Association and your partners filed a lawsuit against the FDA for its delay of reviewing these products currently for sale. Right. Um you know they're, they they don't want the information to get out there. Right,
4: right. They do not. Yeah, they, they do not. Again, the tactics are very similar um, to the old school tobacco tactics, and and many of the makers of these products are tobacco uh, manufacturers. So, Altria, yeah. um, the marble uh, the marble brand, um, they are uh, they own a portion of Jewel, one third. Of jewel
1: oh yeah
4: okay yeah yeah. well it all comes around right it does it does
1: so if i were to ask you what is your biggest need right now what would you say that would be
4: okay so a lot of the things that we do need volunteers and we do cigarette butt pickups at fairs um just to show and demonstrate to lawmakers and interested parties that there's a use at um at outdoor events again that is not something that just stays with the user of the tobacco product, but it is expanded to the other people around them. So sometimes we call that second hand, we can even call it third, because again, there's a substance left behind. Mm-hmm. Um, we do the um, store scans, it, it again illustrates, when we talk about that $1 million spent every hour at um, the convenience stores at the point of sale, uh, we, um, we want to prove that those things exist and they exist to hook a whole new generation. Because it's not um yours and my tobacco generation, it's a it's a candy flavored driven. Um
1: yeah product. That's, that's crazy. I know. I and mean, that just blows I know. my mind. I remember as a kid having those candy cigarettes right? and you know, the, okay, I'm dating myself, but you know, those, those candy cigarettes that were so cool and they were, yeah, yeah, were yummy tasting too. And, mm-hmm. um, actually we have a cottage up North and one of the small, cute little boutique places actually sells those. It's mm-hmm. the only place that I can think of that still sells those, but they don't need to do that now because mm. they have sweet flavored tobacco related products i guess is the best way to put yeah. it that just uh that just blows my mind again so much to to share here but not enough time uh if someone wants to learn more where would they go
4: they can go on to the american lung site they can also visit the state um tobacco control and get uh, you know pick anywhere in the state that they live and find who coordinates that area like myself um yeah, and and if you call the Brookfield office uh, at American Lung and ask for Troy, we'll always have something going on.
1: Okay, and again, the website is lung.org. Lung.org. And there are different... Um, uh, quizzes or, or I don't want to say tests because that might scare people, but I mean, <laughs> <laughs> awareness uh, right. uh, information right. that uh, people can gain access to. Just, again, like anything, the more educated you are, the better decision making you'll be able to do. So right. uh, appreciate you being here today, Troy, and uh, also want to thank Donna Wininski and Lizzie Cummington, also from the American Lung Association. Thank you to all of you who have stepped up to the challenge and, and really made it a priority to educate the public about the dangers of tobacco and tobacco related products. We appreciate your passion for helping and serving. So thank you again. Thank you. If you'd like further information about the people or the organizations we talked to today, you can email me at jill at or you can call our office at 262 262- There are a few ways to listen to the show. You can tune in on the AM dial, you can download the iHeartRadio app, or you can ask Alexa to play WISN AM 1130. If you missed a show or you want to listen to one over again, you can visit our website at ellenbecker.com to listen to the podcast, or we're excited to share that you can now listen on demand at Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or Apple Podcasts. So join us next Sunday morning at 10 a.m. to learn more about some great people, great organizations that are making a difference in our community, and then do something about it. Everybody can do something. Share your talent and your treasures with someone, and I guarantee you'll be blessed because of it. Go out and find a way to be a blessing and give a blessing.